So I special thanks to Doug and the uh, class leadership for for allowing me to. Um, remember the words that last Sunday Chuck repeatedly said, think biblically, think theologically, remember? And that has been the theme in a sense of these five series that I have, and this is third of that, and this time we have two Sundays together, so we will uh, cover two of those five. Um, and think theologically, think biblically, as Rex was saying that the culture is going down the drain, right? And we are the light and the salt of the culture. And we are not, our convictions are not based on what we, the lies we hear from the world, but the truth we learn from the word. We are people, men and women of convictions, and we live by the convictions, and the convictions are formed by the word of God. Remember that story? Three cheaters, trying to cheat out this man. He's carrying a goat on his shoulder. And one of the cheaters comes and tells him, you are a holy man. He was a priest, Brahmin priest. How can you, aren't you ashamed carrying this dog on your shoulder? To which his response, of course, is, are you blind? Don't you see? This is not a dog. This is a goat. A few minutes later, another cheater comes and tells him the same thing. Now he's confused. He's not sure what he's carrying. A few minutes later, the third one comes, tells him the same thing, and he throws away the dog. No, goat. Remember the moral of the story? Anybody? This is third time I'm repeating. (laughs) Remember the moral of the story? Teach these truths, teach this story to your children and grandchildren. They will remember that. Uh, part of my ministry is I, I write in Gujarati magazines and uh, one, uh, two magazines every month. And uh, in one magazine, I write every month one moral story. So if you have a moral story, send it to me. My email is on our class roster. I can use those. These are the stories that teach us the morals. So what, remember the moral of the story? Remember anybody? No. When a lie repeated several times does not become truth, but it does become convincing. A lie repeated several times does not become truth, but it does become convincing. This may sometimes lead us to doubt our own faith. Don't tell me that you have never doubted. What if, what if all these, what we are told, we read, are just fairy tales? And that's what we hear from around us. And sometimes it impacts, it impacts our minds and touches our hearts and can lead us astray in our practical, practical living. 
see, theology comes into life. Your, your character is based on what you believe or lack of character, whatever you say. What we believe leads us how we live. And that's why these things, have to, we have to remember, the word of God is the only basis for life, only basis for the truth. And we are grounded, we are people of the world, and we are and should be grounded into the world so that we are not shaken by the things that we hear around us. And the lives that we see people live, the kind of lives. We have covered uh, two Sundays. The first Sunday we saw that Jesus is the only way and we saw how Christianity is unique. And that has been three theme throughout this five message series. And we take one topic every time. How Christianity, the, the concept of God is different from every other religion, how concept of where man came from, human nature, how the concept of salvation, concept of how the things will end at the end, the eschatology, the things after this, this life, in the other life, all these things, Christianity is unique. And think about this, only Christianity makes sense. It's a logical religion. If you think, if you consider, the, the, the Greek word for consider is logikomai, which literally means think logically. Logikomai means think logically. Common sense is not very common. And if we use our common sense, if we use our common sense, Christianity makes sense. And if you think about other religions, they don't make sense. And Christianity is based on the truth, the truth of the word of God. And so the second lesson was people are trying to reach God and trying to climb the mountain. But God is so exalted, so high, so unfathomable, so transcendent, so no human being can have access to him. And so what did God do? He came down. The word that was in the beginning became human being and dwelt among us. Today we are looking at another way around. The mountain too high to climb was last time. Today the valley so deep to cross that no one can, no one can cross. Okay. Isaiah 6, very familiar passage, and we'll be reading that, and I will not refer to that passage basically through the message, but we will read. This is first time, this is very familiar passage, but during this week I realized that this is probably one of the most basic central passage of the whole Bible. Think about that, four things. Think about as you, as you listen me read. What is one basic, most central attribute of God? Think about that when you listen me read. Secondly, what is the one most basic attribute of human being, quality of human being? 
Third thing, what problem does this create? If you think about God's attribute and man's attribute, what problem does that create? And finally, who solves that problem? How is it solved? Who takes care of that problem? Remember, that is the central message of the whole Bible. When we think about this passage, we think about Isaiah's call. That it is. But it's far, far greater than that. Let's read that. Let's stand up as we usually do in the church. I will be reading first seven verses and also one verse from uh, Revelation. You don't need to open Revelation. Isaiah 6, 1 to 7. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me! For I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Similarly, Revelation 4.8, each of the four living creatures, day and night, never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Thank you, Father, for your word, the foundation of our truth, the foundation of our life. And we pray, Father, that you touch our hearts and our minds in a way that it would impress on our hearts and minds that we would never, ever forget where do we turn for the truth and how that truth is reflected in, a in our lives and the light that we show, you, show around us. Use this time for your glory and for our blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Most of us have, I suppose, visited Grand Canyon. We went long time ago, over 1978, want to go again sometime. And you can look up on Google and find all this information. It's, uh, 
18 mile uh, long, uh, 18 mile wide, 277 mile long, and uh, 6,100, 6,093 feet to be exact, deep. And think about God standing on God and man standing on two opposite rims of Grand Canyon. Man on one rim, south rim, and God on the north rim. And there is an 18-mile gap in between. What is the longest jump that man has ever made? Nineteen sixty-eight, Robert Beeman in Summer Olympics jumped twenty-nine feet, two and a quarter inch. Twenty-nine feet, two and a quarter inch. Twenty-three years it took to break that record, and Mike Powell jumped twenty-nine feet, two four inch and a four and a quarter inch two inch longer. And that was, what, 1991. 20, what, how many years? That record has not been broken. The longest jump has been 29 feet, four inch, four and a quarter inch. Nobody has reached 30 feet yet. Think about 18 mile long and 6,600 feet deep Grand Canyon, and that is not the longest and deepest canyon in the world, by the way. For us, it's most familiar because it's in the United States, and most of us have seen that. But there are grand and grander canyons. <laughs> But the canyon between God and man is far grander and deeper than anybody can imagine. The mountain too high to climb, nobody can climb. We saw that last time. But the canyon too deep to cross, nobody can cross. Do you think what, do you know what is the most basic attribute of God? When you read a book, theological books, and you come to theology, theology means the concept of God is the first chapter of any theology book, and it would start about the attributes of God. And the attributes of God would be omnipotence, He is the Almighty, omniscient, He is the all-knowing, and omnipresent, he is all, all present everywhere. By the way, just this week it came to my mind that these are not the attributes of God. All the theology books are wrong. These are not the attributes of God. These are the abilities of God. He has only one attribute that makes him God. That sets him apart and that's what we read in the book of Isaiah. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Only thou art holy, 
there is none beside thee. Holy, holy. Only twice in the whole Bible these three words are repeated. In Isaiah and Revelation. Holy, holy, holy. In English we have super comparative and superlative, right? Good, better, and best. In Hebrew we don't have superlative and comparative. And so how do you express that? By repetition. Holy once is good. Holy, holy twice is better. Holy, holy, holy three times is the best. Super. One of, the fra one of the names of God is holy. Holy of Israel is a phrase used 34 times in the Bible, 28 times in Isaiah. Holy of Israel means God of Israel. His name itself is holy. This attribute controls all the other attributes. Because God is holy, omnipotent God cannot do things, some of the things that I or you can do. Because God is holy, he cannot be in some place. Even though he is omnipresence, God. Because God is holy, he does not know some of the things that I or you do. He does not know what it feels like to be guilty. Because God is holy, his love is constrained. He cannot give blanket amnesty to all the sinners. We would see that next Sunday. Holiness is the most basic attribute of God and everything he does. All his other attributes are constrained by that. That's what makes him God. Holy makes him God. Holy means set apart, not touched by any defilement, not touched by his creation. Set apart, above everything, untouched by any defilement. Holy means God. Think about Christ. He was on this earth. And book of Hebrews says that he was just like us. You can call him ordinary human being. He was omnipotent God, but he was obedient. He was omnipotent God, but he knew, grew in stature. He was omniscient God, but he grew in knowledge and wisdom. Luke 2.52 He was omnipresent God, but nowhere in the Old and New Testament it tells God, Christ being Two places at the same time. All the attributes that we attribute to God for Christ were laid aside. Or he used very restrictively. One attribute he could not give up and continue to be God. What? Without sin. He was just like us but without sin. That was the only attribute that let him be God and still be man. That is one basic. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now think about man. 
What is man's most basic attribute? Would be hard to accept that. Would be hard to accept that. All have sinned and we fall short of the holiness, the glory of God. All have sinned and that's what creates the vast canyon between God and man. You know, let me give you a picture. What God looks, when God looks at me without Christ, what he sees. Have you seen, a, a movie came out few years ago, Slumdog Millionaire. Are you familiar? Did anyone saw that movie? Did you? We especially did because that was completely Indian movie. Uh, slum dog, actually dog means uh, a word there. It should be uh, 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 slum lord. This man is a slum lord and he has several boys that he employs to, to steal and do all kinds of uh, things. Uh, in the movie, there are two boys playing around, and one man, one boy goes into a latrine, and um, the other boy, just to have a fun, closes the door from outside. And the, the, the boy sitting in the latrine hears a cry outside, Amitabh Bachchan, he's one of the familiar, most popular actor, film actor, he's still alive, he's still acting, old now. This boy is a fan of Amitabh Bachchan and he's now locked in. He finds a way. The latrine is made like a, 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 a cement slab with a hole that you squat on it. That's the public latrine still in India. So he slips through the hole and goes through the sewer and he, when he hears the sounds or right place, he opens up the uh, sewer lid and comes out. That's what God <coughs> sees me, an unbeliever without Christ, completely covered with all the filth, <coughs> completely covered with all the filth. You know, what is the one most basic thing that keeps people coming to Christ? What is the one most basic thing that keeps people away from Christ? Our own assumed goodness our own assumed goodness. The most basic thing you have to realize before the need of Christ is that I am completely covered with all the filth and I cannot clean myself. But people are trying all their ways. People are trying all their ways. Remember I continue to say that God has set eternity in our heart and we have to find God somewhere. 
and so they, so they try to climb the mountain. The same way they try to clean up their heads. Good works. If you are in, still in Isaiah, chapter 5, go back to, go further to chapter 59, only these two uh, scripture passages that I will be referring to. Chapter 50, 59, Adam and Eve, what did Adam and Eve do? They, they, they sowed fig leaves. Uh, world religions are just another way of people trying to find and clean up their acts. And uh, our good works, uh, Isaiah says, are like filthy rags. Isaiah 59. By the way, if you have time sometime, read. I'm sure you have read this chapter, Isaiah 59. One of the most graphic description of the sinfulness of mankind. If you want to see, read Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1 begins by God lamenting, he says, God lamenting says that, 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 that ox knows his manger and the donkey his owner, but my people do not know me. Oh, sinful people. And then the rest of the chapter he describes. The whole body is covered with wealth and, and, and nobody has applied any medicine. Same thing Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, uh, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation, a vast gap, a valley too far, too deep to cross between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. What people do? Verse 5, they hatch adders' eggs and weave the spider's web. And from which, from that which is crushed, a snake breaks forth. Verse 6, their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their, wor their works are works of iniquities and the act of violence is in their hands. That's human effort. Our clothes are like spider webs. If you, we, we don't have time to go into, but look up into, on Google, and a king with invisible clothes. Read a story, king with invisible clothes. Uh, three cheaters again come and make clothes for a king, and he says that will these clothes are totally are not seen by anybody except the one who is totally right and righteous. And when they look at the king, he's totally naked. But nobody wants to confess because if he said if he if he saw king without clothes, then then that means he's not righteous. So same thing, we are, people are wearing clothes. They think, but totally naked. Our righteousness, we compare with other people's righteousness. And compared to Hitler and people like him, we feel better. That's what Pharisees did. 
What, that's what Pharisees, I'm not like that. God expects absolute righteousness. God does not test us by call. He expects ex absolute righteousness. Uh, when somebody comes to our home, I usually go with them and, and go around and whatever he's doing, I watch. That helps me to, sometimes I can see what he's doing and learn so next time I can take care of it myself. Second thing, it helps to make sure that he does the thing right. A couple of weeks ago, we had a pest control man. We had some ants, so we thought, let's take care of it. When, whenever somebody comes to the Christian home, they don't ever go without listening to the gospel. So that's my third reason. I asked this fellow, how long would it take? He said, it takes well, about 20, 30 minutes. I said, can I talk, walk with you along? I said, no. So, just, so I, after initial get, get acquainted questions, of, are you married, son, children, what do you do, how long you have been doing this work? I finally asked, do you go to church? This fellow says, I don't believe in religion. Because religions are fake or something like that. And we started, instead of 40 minutes, 30 minutes, we took hour and 15 minutes. Because we talked and talked and talked and sometimes he would stop doing work. I said, keep doing, well, let's, let's talk because you'll be late. Finally, talking through the gospel and everything, finally asked him, do you have any question? He said, yeah. Why did people, why did God not uh, judge the incest, adultery, murder in the Bible? See, when people listen to the gospel, sometimes they want to avoid the basic issue and come up with some point. The Samaritan woman did the same thing. The fellow who came to Jesus talk, telling him, good teacher, who is, then he raised the question, who is my neighbor? Try to avoid the issue. So this fellow said, why does not God, did not God punish the, all these things? My answer is, for the same reason, that he does not zap me and you when we do, think bad things and we do bad things. You see, when we think why God does not take care of the evil, we think everybody else. We don't include ourselves. Because our righteousness, we think, is comparative righteousness. We always compare ourselves with somebody else. And we always find somebody else worse than us. We always find somebody else worse than us. Habakkuk 
that's one book sometime maybe hopefully we will have time well Wayne will take us through that as we go through the books he begins oh God why don't you why do you let me see all the unrighteousness and evil around us God says I'll look at it I'll see to it I'll bring Babylonians and I'll destroy you God you can't do that we are not that bad Babylonians we are we are much holier than them <laughs> see even the prophets thought that way that's the human tendency we look at righteousness this valley is not too far for me I can be holier than I am holier not just can be I am holier than many people most people Isaac, uh, Adol, uh, Eichmann uh, was one of the leading officer in Hitler's, Adolf Eichmann, in Hitler's uh, army. And he helped Hitler to destroy many people in one of the Auschwitz concentration camp for 20 years Eichmann lived happy peaceful quiet life in Argentina in 1962 Mossad the Israel's secret service hunted him down and brought him to justice at the Nuremberg, Nuremberg trial, he was tried, convicted, and hanged in May 1962. One of the leading witnesses of the trial was a man named Yehiel D. Noor, D-E-N-U-R. And you look up this story on Google. Yehiel Dinur, as a in the witness stand, for a few minutes he was able to witness, and he started profusely perspiring, and a few seconds collapsed and became unconscious. Twenty years later, 1982. On 60 Minutes, Mike Wallace was interviewing Yahiel Dinur. And Mike Wallace asked him, what made you unconscious? Was it fear of that man? Was it that all the memories came to your mind? Was it that you were thinking about yourself, or the suffering that you suffered? And Yehiel Dinur said none of those things. None of those things. When I looked at Adolf Eichmann, when our eyes met, I suddenly realized 
Oh my God. He is not a God man. He is not a monster. He is not a fire breathing dragon. He is a man like me. He is an ordinary human being. If he can become so evil like that, what prevents me becoming like him? I collapse because I saw myself in Isaac in Adolf Eichmann. That is the realization that you have to come to to realize that the valley so deep to cross in every one of us. As far as God is concerned, let me put myself, there is no difference between Adolf Hitler and Emmanuel Christian because God does not look with comparative goodness. He looks at complete goodness. What God does, what God does, what God did to Isaiah, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, woe is me, I am undone, because as sinful as I am, I have seen in the presence of holy God and God takes care of it. God takes care of it. When Jesus was on the cross, he took my iniquities. Think about that. Think about that boy that came out of the sewer and think about Jesus on the cross. Jesus was carrying all the fields of the whole mankind, past, present, and future. No wonder God turned his face around, face away. No wonder he had to cry out, Oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus took all the filth on himself and what God did, he took his robe of righteousness and threw, threw that robe of righteousness on me. Let's go to Isaiah 59 again. Remember Isaiah 59, 15 and 17. Now the Lord saw and it was displeasing in his sight. Remember the word, first 15 verses, a graphic, most beautiful, poetical description of sinfulness of humanity. Now God is sitting there, remember when we talked about last time, God is not just sitting there up on the mountain and watching like this. He comes down. He comes down. The same here. He said, now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight, that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man. And he was astonished. He was troubled. 
that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. And he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Those are familiar terminology from Ephesians 6. But Paul is telling us to put on. But here, you see, God is first who did that before we can do that. He says, and he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Valley too far, too deep to cross. Now we are able to cross. We can easily go from this rim to the other rim through the cross. We have three images here. And Blair puts up one. Uh, think about this. People, sinful, God, holy. And we are standing on one side and there is a deep valley to cross. We cannot cross. What happens? Second, there is a cross. Now we can walk through it and go to the other side. And the third, sin, rebellion, separation, through the cross, we have peace, forgiveness, and abundant life. Valley too deep to cross, now we can cross. Thank you, Blair. What is our response? It's written out in your, in your outline. May we never take the grace of God so lightly. What I mean is, don't let, let it waste away for you. If you have never ever come to that point, may it be right now. May it be right now. 1 Peter 1.18 says that we are redeemed not by perishable things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb. And that's a precious thing that God had to come because there was no other way. There was no other way for us to cross that valley. Now we can have that grove of righteousness because Jesus took all the filth of our sinfulness. And book of Hebrew writes that how will be if we neglect such a great salvation. That is the main message that we share with the world. That is the only message that we have that changes things, changes culture, changes lives, gives hope to sinful humanity. Secondly, may we never take our righteousness flippantly. God has given us the robe of righteousness. Now it is our responsibility to keep that robe clean. We are talking about practical righteousness. We have a positional righteousness in Christ. And now we have to live it out. Practical righteousness. 
There is a beautiful verse in Isaiah, we will not go there, Isaiah 38:15. Hezekiah gets sick and he is afraid of his life, so he asks for prayer and God grants him prayer, 15 years, more life. And he says, this has happened to me, what should I say? And how do I respond? Verse 15. It's a beautiful imagery. He says, because of the affliction, I would walk slowly in my life. Because of my affliction, I would walk slowly in my life. What is he saying? He's saying that when I walk in the world, I will walk so carefully so that I am not tainted by the filth of the world. <laughs> we are coming to the lunchtime. I don't want to waste, uh, spoil that. We, I already did with the slumdog story. <laughs> but I grew up in a small village and we didn't have bathroom and so at the outside the outskirt of the village, you go out in the open. And there is a particular area where you go. Everybody goes. And when you go there, you better walk carefully. When you go there, you better walk carefully. And that's what Hezekiah is saying. Don't let that robe of righteousness be stained as we walk. Our responsibility, our gratefulness to God for what he has done is seen by the life that we live that is totally, completely pleasing to him, right? The third thing is maybe never miss opportunity to share the truth. Nobody comes to a Christian home that goes without hearing the gospel. I'm not talking about my Christian home. Every Christian home, right? Nobody that comes into our contact goes without listening to the good news. Because that's the only news that we have, good news that we have. Sometimes when I walk, I see a man walking, walking and reading the newspaper. I, I asked him once, any good news in there? <laughs> he, he said, barely, but that's overstatement. <laughs> barely, even barely is overstatement. There is no good news. Only good news is we have, and we have to responsibility to share, and we'll talk about more next time. Well, finally, may we never doubt the word of God. The gospel that we have received, the gospel that we have believed, the gospel that, that has saved us is the only gospel. There is no other, there is no other gospel. There is no other truth. There is no other source of truth but the word of God. And if we have that, we, 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 we better study that. We better understand that. We cherish that. We live it out. We share that. Don't let anyone steal your goat. Don't let anyone steal your goat. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the word, the truth that you have revealed to us. Revelation brings responsibility. 
since you have given it to us, it's responsibility, it behaves us, that we know it, we understand it, we live by it, we cherish it, we share it. Burden our heart, Father, so much, so much. Give us that hunger to know the truth, to be convinced by the truth, and to be touched by the truth, so that your light shines through us into this dark world. And maybe, maybe even us, each one of us, you would use to transform lives around us. Touch each one, each one of us, Father, and bless so that we can be blessing. Jesus, who is the source of all our blessings, in his name we pray. Amen.